The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So once again, welcome everyone. Nice to be here together right in the middle of our eight-week class on the Buddha's teachings on mindfulness of the body, and we're using the discourse of mindfulness immersed in the body, but also, and maybe even more so, the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddhist discourse on mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of mind, and mindfulness of mental objects, sometimes it's translated as. And just to give those of you who are going to be Continuing, so in the spring we'll do mindfulness of feeling tone. That's the second part of the Satipatthana, the, how the Buddha talked about mindfulness. In the summer, the course will be mindfulness of the mind. And in, in the fall, mindfulness of dhammas is how it's usually left untranslated. But it's really the study of the awakening factors, the hindrances, and the awakening. So it's mindfulness of the awakening process and what gets in the way of the awakening process. So the Buddha is basically saying to be a functional human being and to learn how to relate in skillful and compassionate ways. We need to learn how to be intimate with the body, which is what we're studying this winter. We have to learn how to be intimate with feeling tone. That's what we'll study in the spring. We have to be able to be intimate, clearly aware of the mind, the quality of the mind, tight mind, loose mind, concentrated mind, distracted mind. We need to be able to see that, to know that as it actually is. And then when we're, we've developed this ability to be mindfully aware of what's gross all the way to what's subtle, then we look at the body and mind in terms of awakening liberation, more and more freedom, and what's in the way. And that's the fall work that we'll do. And that's called mindfulness of tamas. Usually it's left untranslated, as I've said. And so, as I mentioned uh, briefly last week, the Buddhist teachings on mindfulness of the body in the Satipatthana Sutta are really contemplations. We're using concepts, we're using maps, to help transform how we see, how we relate, how we know the body. So um, this one that we started last week and we're working on tonight, and I'll try to get to uh, introduce the next one, mindfulness of the elements before we end tonight. But with mindfulness of the anatomical parts that we've been talking about these last two weeks, we're really, you know, because the very deep habit is we think of the body and we relate to my body and to everybody else's body in terms of its kind of superficial shape. You know, it's amazing how even with our masks on, if we see a friend walking, especially here in Minnesota, all bundled up with the coat and then a mask on top of that, isn't it interesting how quickly we know, oh, that's this person, right? Because we're used to seeing the body and, lab and uh, sort of recognizing it in just this superficial way. There's actually a story from 
the early discourses where I think it was uh, some wife finally got disgusted with her husband and left. And the husband was totally distraught, running around looking for where his wife had run away to. And it happened upon uh, a practitioner, uh, a student of the Buddha, a pretty skilled practitioner um, who has had a, a lot of continuity of mindful awareness along the road. So the husband said to this monk, have you seen this woman? And he described his wife and, uh, you know, she's young, she's beautiful or whatever. However, he described his wife to this monk. And the monk said, no, it didn't say anything like that. And then uh, before the, the person left, he said, I did see teeth. I did see skin. I did see flesh, you know. So it's like, because he was doing this contemplation, you know, internally with in terms of my own body, but also externally in terms of anybody that happens by, oh, skin, flesh, bones. You know, we don't see it in terms of, oh, I find this part of this person attractive or, oh, this person I don't find attractive, which is often how we tend to look at people, you know, in terms of like, like the clothes they're wearing, like the shape of their body, don't like the shape of their body, afraid of the age of that body, greedy of the youth of that body, you know, it's just these very superficial things. So to help the heart unhook from these very superficial ways that we relate to the body, check out this contemplation and check it out playfully because, uh, you know, depending on our own, you know how it is in our culture, probably in a lot of cultures these days, there's a lot of, um, I'm not sure what the right word is, toxicity and ignorance, how we've been culturally conditioned to think of bodies and our body in particular. And so there can be a lot of uh, woundedness in terms of our relationship to body. But it doesn't mean we should ignore it. It just means we want to tread carefully and really take responsibility to use these teachings skillfully in a way that promotes balance and a settledness and a harmonizing and integration of our mind with our mind, heart, and body, really coming together in a way so that this integration of mind and body, like being intimate with the body, being embodied, starts to feel safer, less having to be disconnected, operate in a disconnected, in denial, deluded in the sense of being unaware of the body, having an, a deluded or a not accurate connection with the body which is how we, some of us, have to survive because there are some significant wounds and pain. And we haven't yet learned how to release, to meet that pain, to forgive ourselves, to forgive whatever needs forgiven, to be forgiven, and to help that unwind. And, you know, this, finally, these last decades, there's just a lot more out there um, especially in Western psychology, around how to work with trauma. And there's new fields of psychology really somatically based to help people recognize 
what's living in the body. Somebody asked this question at the end uh, in the chat last week, and uh, I think it, um, the question was something like, uh, how might uh, it affect us? How, like the trauma that lives in the body, how might it affect us as we do some of these practices? Well, that's for each of us to carefully, gently recognize. And uh, he brought to mind a, a powerful quote from Alice Miller. Maybe some of you have heard this. The truth of our childhood is stored up in our body, and although we can repress it, we can never alter it. Our intellect can be deceived, our feelings manipulated, our conceptions confused, and our body tricked with medication. But someday our body will present its bill, for it is, for it is as incorruptible as a child who, still whole in spirit, will accept no compromise or excuses, and it will not stop tormenting us until we stop evading the truth. So a lot of what we'll be learning these next three weeks with uh, body parts meditation, and then before we end tonight, I'll introduce the elements meditation, which is just a, a map we used to have a more intimate, grounded connection with sensation. And then maybe next week, but for sure the week after, we'll do uh, some variations of the corpse meditation. But it's basically, as we feel and sense the body, realizing its impermanent nature. That however it is now, it's in the process of changing. And there's that obvious trajectory of the physical body of birth, growth, aging, sickness, and death. And that's not specific to any one of us. That's just the very nature of the body, to be born, to grow up, to age, to be sick at times, and to eventually die, and to fall apart in that dying process, right? To decompose, dust to dust. I don't know, some of you probably were <clears throat> raised a Catholic, and on um, Ash Wednesday, you know, there is this, you go up and the priest would make a little cross in your forehead with ashes and you know it's really a powerful teaching that that's where we end up that's where the body ends up decomposed it returns to ash and it changes how we relate to the body knowing that oh it's just this body is skin flesh and bones we're not making a big deal of it it's really meant to be grounding or when we work with the elements meditation and we we realize that, oh, it's hardness or softness or smoothness or roughness or it's warmth or it's coolness or it's movement or it's stillness or heldness, right? It's like we can break down or deconstruct the sensations we're feeling and they're not very special. You know, like we might have a really nice feeling in the body, but it's when we really look at it carefully, not not in any sort of, weird way, just sort of break it down. It's just some combination of hardness and softness and smoothness and roughness and heaviness and lightness and warmth or coolness or movement or stillness and some 
cohering of all of those different elements together that make this bodily experience this way. And when I'm feeling hardness or lightness or roughness or smoothness, it's really not that different than when you're experiencing hardness or smoothness or lightness or roughness or warmth or coolness. It's not all that personal. So you see that these three maps we're going to use that the Buddha offers us so that we can correct our bad habits in terms of how we relate to the body, use this sort of map of ordinary body parts. And I, I think I read last week the more traditional. So Venerable Analio, a wonderful teacher of mine and teacher for many of us here in the West, he simplified it. There's a little bit of suggestion to do it this way in the early uh, teachings and the suttas. But he basically came up with this simple way of body scan using the skin and then come back up through the body, keeping in touch in tune with the flesh and then down being in tune with the bones and you can repeat that. Um, but uh, the traditional uh, way, the way it is in the discourse I'll just read, one examines the same body up from the soles of the feet, down from the top of the hair, enclosed by skin and full of many kinds of impurities. Now that word impurities, I'm stopping the reading now, it's really making the point that these different parts are, in their essence, not attractive, not special. So that's the way to use that word impurity. Nothing special. And, and uh, you'll see when I read the, the simile, like I mentioned in the guided sit, it's just like different seeds. Seeds are not disgusting. We don't really have a strong emotional reaction when we see a lentil or a rice grain or a sesame seed or a sunflower seed. You know, they're just kind of stuff. And this is the simile the Buddha uses. And so now he lists the 32 parts. And it's not all inclusive. So it's not like you got to be get every single part because we're just challenging a habit of being superficial. So that's why three parts will work now we're going to hear the 32. In this body, there are head hairs. And it, as, even as I go through the 32 parts, you could just flash, you know, using your imagination, okay, a bunch of head hair. Just seeing the head hair as, as one bundle of stuff. Head hairs. Hair of the body. The nails. All of our teeth big bundle of skin, an even bigger bundle of flesh, all the sinews, a big pile of bones, the bone marrow, kidney, heart, each of these organs, you know, has a different, slightly different color, liver, the diaphragm, different shape, of course, the spleen, lungs, bowels, mesentery, that's the sort of membrane that holds a lot of the digestive or organs against, you know, keeping them in place, basically. Contents of the stomach, like what does lunch look like now? Feces, 
the bile, the phlegm, any pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, saliva, snot, oil of the joints, urine. And it's just interesting, like any emotional response that we felt or just the mind like shutting down or some strong idea like this is really stupid. <laughs> I thought Buddhism was helpful, but this seems just weird. So just be aware of whatever kind of physical, psychological, emotional response arose. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because this is just high school biology, maybe even eighth grade biology or seventh grade biology, you know, learning these basic parts of the body. Oh yeah, that's how it is. And the interesting question that I, I'm really encouraging us, especially this week, because in the course of your lifetime, you're not going to get too many invitations like we're getting last week and tonight. Like, as you live your day, tomorrow, tonight, as you're around yourself, looking in the mirror or with just aware of the body or seeing another body, a pet, someone you're living with, just remember, just like, how does it change things to remember this ordinary truth, like a bag of seeds? Oh yeah, there's this and there's that and there's a bunch of that and some of the stuff is moist and wet and some of the stuff is actually liquid and some of the stuff is quite hard, like the bones. Some things very tough, like the tendons. It's just stuff. And all that stuff together makes up what we call the body. And how does that change how I move through life, how I relate, how I do my stuff as a human being? Because the idea is that it starts to undermine the habit of conceit because one of the things the ego depends on, it, you know, the ego is quite skillful at in one moment be, being identified with one thing and the next moment identified with another thing. So it's very quick in that way, but certainly there are moments when the sense of self is very much attached, identified with the body. Like when your partner says, oh, you look really good today. And then it feels so personal, <laughs> like, oh, we don't think, oh, the skin looks good, or the fleshy parts are in the right places, so that looks good, or the skeletal structure still doesn't seem humped over, seems somewhat upright. That's We don't think of it that way. We think it's like me who looks good, right? But if we cultivate this perception, it really changes. Like, oh yeah. Like when we see somebody whose body, for whatever reason, to us is attractive, you know, it's like, yeah, they've got... The skin is this way. The flesh is shaped in this way. The skeletal structure is this way. And the mind has been conditioned to say, that's nice. You know, and then when we see another body that we have the opposite, oh, that body's not attractive. Oh, yeah. It's still skin, flesh, and bones, but it's slightly different, you know, how it's shaped. But it's basically just skin, flesh, and bones. And so here's the simile that goes with, um, this is the next part in that discourse where the Buddha is giving us this meditation on anatomical parts. He goes, it, <clears throat> it is just as if a person with good eyes 
who has opened a double-mouthed bag. So the speculation is this is the kind of bag they would farmers would use when they're seeding the crops, where they a bigger hole on top where they pour all the seeds in, and a smaller hole at the bottom of the bag where the seeds would kind of go out a few at a time along the row that the farmer's planting. Um, who has opened a double-mouth bag full of different sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white, white rice, which they would examine, oh, this is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, and this is white rice. So that's that very ordinary simile the Buddha uses. Like That's the attitude we want <clears throat> in our mind when we do this, this particular meditation on the anatomical parts, whether we do it, you know, in a more detailed way, like the 32 parts, or we do it in that more simplistic way we did during the guided meditation, whether you do it formally in your set, or you do it informally during the day. And you can just be playful with it, and it's really okay to be creative. Like, you know, you're at work, and you just, in a playful way, just remember every person you see, there's a skeleton there, covered up by the clothes, by the skin, and by the flesh. But there's a skeleton in there. And just see how that changes, how you <laughs> relate to those people at work you really like, and those people at work you find difficult to be around. Oh yeah, it's just part of what's going on here, there's a skeleton there. Somebody asked the question um, in the chat last week, and remember, you can send in your questions to me, um, and I'll try to weave them into the class. So if, th if something comes up during the week around these practices and uh, a question emerges, send it in. Uh, but somebody wrote, I have a body. I am a body. What is your take? <laughs> like, how do we relate? And really what we're doing is... And we were using conceptual maps to loosen how the mind understands the body from a fixed understanding, basically to a not fixed understanding. Because we can do this practice a lot. It doesn't mean that a, a particular body will walk by and we won't judge it as being very attractive or judge another body as being very unattractive. But with this work, we won't be confused by that habitual conclusion. Oh, this is an attractive body. I like this body, right? But then the mind will go, it will go, yeah, I, I get that experience of attraction. And right there, because of the work we're doing, it's just skin, flesh, and bones. So it really ventilates our habit of seeing things, seeing bodies in terms of attractiveness and unattractiveness including our own body as being attractive or unattractive, right? And this goes back to some of the um, the harm that's been done to us over the years of our life, um, where, you know, however it might have happened, we've felt really judged, and our body has been violated in a way. And so then we might have this habit a, a very strong habit sometimes of disgust or self-hatred related to our bodies. 
And so this can really help ventilate and loosen if it's done skillfully. If we're really using these practices, we're taking responsibility because nobody can really tell us our internal experience. So we really have to take personal responsibility like, is this reflection I'm doing, is it in the direction of integration, of healing, of harmonizing the heart, mind and body? Or is it, is it deepening some self-hatred? Or is stuff arising, strong feelings, emotions arising that I don't know yet how to be with? Because just generally in meditative practice, we're learning two skills, like how to skillfully turn toward our experience, even if it is intense, even if it is challenging, but we're also learning this very essential skill of how to turn away. Like, because what mindful awareness teaches us, like if I'm mindfully aware and something's gotten triggered, some old trauma, some old pain, it's gotten triggered and it's coming to the surface, and there's some balanced present moment awareness, it might reveal, you know what? I don't have sufficient balance, sufficient confidence, sufficient stability to be with what I'm feeling right now, what I'm experiencing right now. And then wisdom would naturally ask a question, well, what can I be aware of in this moment? Well, maybe I'll go take a walk. Maybe I'll go make a cup of tea. Maybe I'll call a friend, right? So it's precisely because there's some mindful awareness, we might realize, you know what? It's not so easy for me to be relaxed and alert with what's showing up in my experience right now. Okay, maybe I should turn towards some other aspect of the present moment where I actually could be intimate and alert and relaxed with it. What might that be? What what is available in terms of my, you know, in terms of what's present? What can I pay attention to that is neutral enough or pleasant enough? that the mind is able to be clearly aware, relaxed, alert. And uh, one thing, just in terms of the history, that um, it's important to understand with this uh, body part meditation is, uh, you know, at the time of the Buddha and for many centuries, a lot of the people who ended up at monasteries were young, both the nuns and the monks. And uh, so obviously sexual energy is going to be a dominant thing going on. I don't know if some of you are young and most of us can remember being young. And even as we're old, you know, we never stop being a sexual being. We never stop being sexually attractive. And so this was a very specific antidote for strong uh, experiences of sexual attraction. And, uh, you know, I'm guessing most of you know, but certainly seems real in my life, uh, we can get in a lot of trouble with sexual attraction because, you know, it's just a force of nature. It's a very strong force of nature. Obviously, you know, through evolution, it's what allows humanity to continue to be on this planet is because of the strong force of sexual attraction. And, um, you know, 
These days, it's uh, how it expresses itself and what's allowed is sort of much more diverse and varied than maybe other times in history, who knows. But it's really still the same force of sexual attraction. And the, the question is, like, how can we be a sexual being, as we are, and not cause ourselves and not cause others harm? How can we navigate this territory? Because repression and denial is really unhealthy and tends to not work. <laughs> and acting out our sexual attractions all the time, whenever, just because it's there, we feel we have to do something with that attraction, that doesn't work so well either. Because sometimes people aren't interested and sometimes people are already in a committed relationship and any number of other reasons why it's not an appropriate thing to express that attraction. So this this is a specific technique that people, especially people who are practicing celibacy or people in committed relationships, so this is more for us lay folks who aren't necessarily celibate, but maybe are in a committed relationship, yet still bumping into folks who we find sexually attractive well, you might just experiment with that a little bit. Like, yeah, I can see this attraction. I can feel this attraction. I'm not afraid of this attraction. And part of the reason I'm not afraid of this attraction is I can see it from another perspective. Because like I said, it isn't that one perspective is true or right. It's that a fixed perspective isn't helpful. We don't want to reinforce this idea that there's a right way to look at a body, our body or another body. No. So these different frames we use skillfully as a kind of medicine to keep the heart, mind, and balance. So if we're just like working with somebody we find really sexually attractive or just attractive for whatever reasons, and it's really getting in the way of being functional at work, well, just remember that even on, on just on that, you know, I'm not talking about so much being attracted to their wonderful personality and their generous spirit, but just that more basic physical attraction. You know, just remember, and it's skin, flesh, and bones. And you can just use anything. I mean, you know what a body is. Your body is much like their body. So by just remembering what it is to have a body, you know, I mean, things like, it uses the toilet. And you now these things can be seemingly, you know, I know it can sound a little off-putting, but uh, I don't know about everyone's mind, but there are times my mind has been really obsessive. And it's really nice to have some tools that can cool obsession. And just to realize it's just a body. It's so uh, grounding. And it's so liberating to not be pushed around or driven by these unavoidable forces in our emotional, psychological, physical conditioning. They're just wired in, basically. So we have to, you know, develop creative ways to handle our human life, our body and mind, our heart. So instead of being pushed around by our likes and dislikes, acting them out, and then all the 
suffering of remorse. So when we do act in ways that are unskillful, I mean, just if we remember all the things we did in high school and in our early adult years and, you know, causing ourselves and others harm and doing stupid stuff around attraction, you know, and then it lives on as remorse. I don't know, I wonder if it's true that, you know, if we, how many, there's a hundred, around a hundred of us, but is there anybody in this group that didn't do something stupid around sexual attraction? Raise your hand. <laughs> how did you get, how did you do that? We've all probably made some embarrassing, you know, did some embarrassing stuff. And then it lives on as remorse. So it's not like we're done with it. We're, and then when the memory comes up, it's like, oh, I did that. I said that. I acted this way. Right? So this is the thing. We're developing tools where we can be real in the sense of like, there is attraction. I'm not oblivious to attraction. I'm not oblivious to my likes and dislikes. But I'm not, I'm not as confused by attraction and disgust, just to talk about the two extremes. Because I understand, oh yeah, that's a conditioned tendency of my mind to see, to judge, to evaluate my body, other bodies in particular ways. You know, it's the both genetic and cultural, these ways we've been conditioned. But I have some tools so that I don't feel so pushed around by my conditioning. There's a lot more space, a lot, a lot more equanimity. And this is really the transformation of view that we're uh, working on in our practice. And these three uh, meditations that we'll be learning over the next week's anatomical parts, next one's called the elements, where we're deconstructing sensation into just the elemental parts. So yeah, there's heat and there's coolness. There's hardness and softness. There's smoothness and roughness. There's heaviness and lightness. There's a kind of cohesion and there's a flow. There's pressure and there's movement. So there are these different ways we can deconstruct experience. We talk about them as earth, fire, water, and air, because that's kind of how they their science worked back 2,500 years ago. But it lines up perfectly well, because earth just means hard, soft, smooth, rough, heavy, and light. That's the earthiness of sensation. And fire just re refers to temperature, coolness, and warmth. And water is the the sense of like when we're feeling sensation there's a sense of cohesion like it all kind of coheres as this experience of body right and then air is that pressure and sometimes the pressure is uh, is held and sometimes pressure turns into movement so that's the that's referred to as the air element, and we'll do that guided meditation uh, next Monday night on the elements. And I'll send out some of these. I'll send out the the traditional um, from the sutta the description of each of these three meditations. And then the last one I mentioned is imagining the decomposition of the body, 
so that the body born, grows old, dies, and falls apart back to dust. And just letting that get grounded, getting grounded in that basic truth. And the idea is that these contemplations help to correct view, how the mind constructs meaning. Because normally, the bad habits we have is we take our experience, like the experience of the body, and we see it as a permanent thing, a beautiful thing, something that is in this duality of attractive to unattractive. That, that That's a truth about the body, that it's, it exists in this dualistic spectrum from attraction to unattract, not, not attracted. That it's permanent, that it's beautiful, or in this, you know, this uh, spectrum of attraction to non-attraction, that it's personal and that it's satisfactory. And these contemplations will do this for the remaining part of this course and then also with the feeling tone in the spring course really corrects these things that are called the four distortions. So more and more as we're living our life just in ordinary ways, we don't imagine things are permanent we just start more and more to naturally see everything as in motion, changing. We don't imagine things are going to be satisfactory because nothing totally satisfies this heart. So we th we just start seeing things as, oh, that will be a nice meal, but it won't be perfectly, permanently satisfactory. I'll feel good for a while and then it will be over. It's not really going to satisfy me. So we'll still take vacations probably, but we'll less and less imagine the vacation is going to satisfy me in any lasting way. So the question of whether I should go, I won't go on vacation because I think it's going to fix me, or I won't get married or get involved in a committed relationship because it's going to make me satisfied forever. I'm going to do it because it seems like the skillful thing to do. But I'm not putting this idea which will always end in betrayal, that it's going to satisfy me. And then even in a deeper way, we stop taking things so personally. And this will, you'll get more of a sense of this with the elements meditation, when we really break our physical experience down, oh yeah, this is just hardness, or this is just softness, just smoothness. Even those of you who, you know, like to eat food, which I'm assuming is all of us, you know, just to break it down in terms of taste, saltiness, sourness, crunchiness, softness. Right? It's just these different smoothness. And it it kind of it it sort of takes the mystery. No, 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 I just like it. It's ice cream, you know, it's my favorite. So much of our joy, you know, when we're eating is the idea that I'm the guy who likes this food I'm eating, right? But when we deconstruct it into what's actually the experience of chewing and tasting and swallowing, it's just what it is. It's not bad, but it isn't going to save me, you know, having my favorite food or eating something that's not so much my favorite. That's not going to kill me. It's just what it is. It's just that combination of flavor. So this is an age-old technique, especially in early Buddhism, of deconstructing experience. Because when we deconstruct experience, it's very hard 
for the mind to relate with greed, hatred, and delusion, which are, you know, the three categories of being unskillful, basically. So you can work with that with uh, body parts contemplation, see how it teases out greed, hatred, and delusion when you realize it's just skin, flesh, and bones. And when you deconstruct the sensations in these four elements way, just see it. There's less of the sense of it, of conceit of it being my bodily experience. No, it's just hardness is being known or softness is being known or heaviness is being known, coldness is being known. Now, I don't know about the rest of you, but here in Minnesota, those of us in Minnesota, we're serious cold spell, a long cold spell. I think it's going to go on for another seven days, much to my dismay. But it's a great time to notice coldness as just coldness being known. Oh yeah, this is coldness. It's one of the elements. You know, it's the absence of warmth. And then you can even see that some parts of the body are colder. And then the parts that are relatively warm, like it changes our relationship to the coldness to notice the warmth. Just like if things are feeling really hard, the chair you're sitting in feels really hard, notice softness. It changes your relationship to the hardness when you keep in mind softness. So it's really this work with the elements really takes away um, the habit of relating with greed, hatred, and delusion. See if that's true in your own experience as you kind of start to play with these different practices. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.